Realized, where truth survives and we got your back. My name is Heidi Kuda. I'm here with High Fidelity and Sean Connor, voted most likely to succeed in destroying techno-fascism. Our mate, our mate Jim Stewartson is on a major explosive investigation, so we're giving him some time to work on that. And in the meantime, we will continue sailing the seas of disinformation cheese without him today. Uh, but we wish him well, and uh, we support him in every single endeavor. Uh, so we're going to jump right in, inspired by the sexiest man alive, Neil Young. We are plan we're so excited to announce that we are pulling Radicalized off of Spotify. I think we may have actually already done it. Uh, Spotify, as you know. Yep. Right we did on. yesterday. Yeah, yesterday we've... Right uh, Went ahead and we're off of Spotify. Nice. We're off of Spotify. Yeah. It's set up to I mean, 20, 24 to 48 hours to complete the removal, but uh, yeah, that was in I solidarity. Mean, yeah, we did that yesterday. Right. And, and the bottom line is that uh, it's a symbolic gesture for us. We're a very small show, but we do box above our weight, and we feel like it's an important uh, it's an important team decision that we've made. Um, clearly, prior to. Uh, the Neil Young, Joe Rogan, uh, you know, uh, wrestling match. Uh, Spotify was already starting to go the, in the wrong direction. Now, how much have they lost Hi-Fi? It's, it's like in the billions, right? Uh, yeah, they've lost roughly $2 billion in stock value since this okay. whole thing happened. Yeah. And what did we learn from Imran Ahmed, the uh, uh, CEO of the Center for Countering Digital Hate? It's that if you want to counter digital hate, you actually have to... Uh, affect the uh, bottom line of amoral uh, companies. And so clearly they stood on the wrong side of history by standing behind disinformation agents. Now the CEO is scrambling. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to come and a lot more noise on that. But we do want to say that uh, we are encouraging Apple to consider deplatforming Steve Bannon because he's a major problem as well. So I think major this is a story problem. far from over. Indeed. Uh, Spotify did add a little Band-Aid. They're putting COVID misinformation labels on things yeah. now, which so is it was trying, yeah. too little too late. Same thing that happens yeah. in the corporate world. They always try and regulate themselves first, which never works. You know, And they always try right. and put, put their own sort of uh, uh, punishments on themselves, which never works. And so somebody has yeah, to have fast rules. You have to come in and impose you know, sanctions or criminal policy or, or consequences for yeah. these actions. They just continue. There we go, we back are, to the H memo, right? We, we, yes, very much so. We are a uh, investigative show about disinformation. One of our major concerns is the amount of funny money uh, that has gone into, uh, you know, Silicon Valley and the halls of academia. And by funny money, we mean uh, Russian oligarch investments. And so here, uh, we know that there is an inordinate amount of uh, investments in some of the platforms that we know are no longer safe. Um, and I bring that up because if you hear this tone in my voice, uh, you know, when, when I noted that there was a network of bots praising Trump yesterday after his desperate braying uh, speech, I noted to Twitter security, look at all these bots that are pretending to be authentic pro-Trump voices. And what did I get in return? Oh, you old hag, blah, 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 and downward from there. So once again, we are seeing 2016 levels of activity. And why this is so particularly interesting 
to bring up today is we have with us today as our guest the former president of Estonia, uh, Tumas Ilves, and he is going to explain how these bots and these trolls that we see in these armies and this activity is actually mob-based activity. And he's also going to explain to us how it's not ideology-based. It's neither left nor right. It's cover for corruption. So we have a very exciting show uh, yeah. coming up for you guys. Looking forward yeah. to that. I guess so was we sharp as attack, you know. Amazing. Oh, my God. Uh, we well, are one, be... one, of, one of the things that I found interesting, uh, just going back to, you know, since we're going to be talking about Russia and disinformation, one of the things I found interesting is, uh, you know, Cake Music posted that Yuri Milner dropped a bunch of money into Spotify, which mm. I find interesting because, okay, they're, they're using Spotify as a misinformation platform. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, Yuri Milner is also known for investing in Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Along yeah, with maybe, Peter Thiel maybe. and Sergey Grishin. Yeah, maybe we'll find it, out later. It, it's going to be super, super interesting. And I, find, I think what's also very interesting is that, you know, one of the things we're going to learn from uh, Tumas is that in – uh, you know, countries such as Russia, they actually, you know, have mandates to get vaccinated. Meanwhile, there is major investment in disinformation, both foreign and uh, extreme right-wing faction of America. And now we're, of course, learning that there is no ideology and that the extreme left-wing faction is also involved in this. So the disinformation wildfire that we're seeing spread inorganically in our own country, uh, you know, is quite markedly different from the foreign agents that are behind it here uh, in their own country. So that's gonna be something we're gonna discuss with Tumas as well. And I'm so excited about that. Uh, so, wow, what an explosive beginning to our show. I really am looking forward to talking about non-kinetic warfare. And now let us get on with um, High Fidelity's word phrase of the week. All right, so word phrase of the week this week is Plausible deniability. Okay, right. and what is plausible deniability? <laughs> Prove it. There you go. Uh, plausible deniability. Uh, you know, a textbook definition uh, is when would be senior people in a chain of command um, deny knowledge or responsibility for actions taken by those lower down the chain of command. Uh, a more basic definition is you cause something to happen. But you didn't do it. And you've had some foreknowledge of making efforts so you couldn't be proved to have done it. Yeah. So my thinking is shot with the legalese. Those, those <laughs> committing criminal acts are trying to do it without a digital trace. And one of my great frustrations in the um, Trumplandia investigations is that I was told from uh, my favorite white-collar crime trial lawyer Tracy Green that Trump was never going to go down because there would not be a smoking gun. She said he doesn't email, he doesn't text, he has things hand-delivered. So he is an example of that plausible deniability. But anybody exactly. who, who watched even a second of his braying last night knows that this is a desperate man who, who clearly knows that his criminality is catching up with him. And that is why he's escalating that stochastic terrorism talk that High Fidelity has so brilliantly explained to us in the past. But plausible deniability is going to be very interesting. And what we really need is some sort of Sammy the Bull action right here. Hmm. Yes, yeah, Sammy the Bull. <laughs> it's, uh, well, 
you know, a large part of the problem is uh, a vast majority of the plot to overthrow the United States government on January 6th uh, was documented. I mean, we now have, you know, the forged elector votes that are being subpoenaed. Uh, the people behind those are being subpoenaed. Uh, yeah. We have chat logs. We, you know, the the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, we, we have chat logs for them. Um, unfortunately, for being criminals, they're not very good criminals. Uh, no, well, that, luckily, that's been the thing with Trump the whole time, right? I mean, the whole elect, fake electors idea is pretty, pretty brilliant. I mean, it's really smart. It's just executed horribly. And we've seen that over and over and over with him. The concepts that well, come out from, from his crime ring are pretty smart. It's just horribly executed. And just on a basic well, well, here's the thing. I would argue that uh, Trump's crime ring didn't come up with the ideas. They were just put in charge of executing them. Good point. So he's absolutely so, horrible everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so clear to me when on these, uh, these desperate acts by desperate men, uh, men and some women, that these are people who are trying to stay out of prison. And I yeah. think that the story that Jim broke a week or two ago uh, from Stuart Rhodes's kid who was interviewed on Audio Magnet show uh, when he was talking about how, you know, my dad answered to Flynn and, and Eric Prince. That's the kind of stuff that still has that sort of aroma of that mob roll up. And I do hope that we have enough integrity in this country and enough of a sense of right and wrong that we were going to be seeing the, you know, uh, the evidence that our justice system is working and we will get to the top layers of this crime against our country. Certainly hope so. Yeah, right. Okay, so let's see. What do you have with why it matters, Hi-Fi? All sorts of fun stuff this week. Oops, Sean. Let me just run it. One second. Here we go. Sean. Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why high fidelity? I just, before you go, I just want to say I will never get tired of the art of Sean Connor. It's just, I, he's, a that's, that's I will never get tired of that punk rock intro. I mean, that's, that's the catchiest one. Well, yeah. That's the catchiest song. Yeah. Oh my I, God. I, I, I need that for like a ringtone or something. You know? <laughs> no, yeah. I want to hear it often. Um, all right. So why does it matter this week? Well, this week we're going to talk about uh, three things. First one up is crisis line cashes in. And what is the story about? It is about, a company who ran a nonprofit crisis suicide prevention crisis text line. Terrible. Yeah. And uh, well, the idea itself is not terrible. Suicide prevention is important, it's necessary. However, what Crisis Text Line did is they were gathering data on its users. So people who are experiencing a crisis event, who are going through mental health issues, people who really need help. They're scraping their data. They're grabbing their data. Because they are a nonprofit, they are prohibited from selling this data. So what apparently the company did was create another company called Loris.ai. And for a while, they had the same CEO. They had a lot of crossover people. And Loris would take the data from Crisis Text Line and sell it. Now... 
Loris AI does say, oh, we completely anonymize all the data. There's no way that you could ever uh, trace that data back to our users. That may or may not be the case. I don't know their business practices. But what I will say is that, you know, as Charles Creel and Kat Gellin and a bunch of other people have proven, uh, as the Cambridge Analytica scandal has proven, that you can take data from one place and use identifying factors in it and match that up with other data from another place and identify those people. You know, that was one of Cambridge Analytica's. Yeah, exactly you, right. phone, yeah. phone number, uh, age, sex, geogra yeah. geographic location. Uh, yeah. You can correlate that to other records that you have. You know, someone who's having a mental health crisis uh, might be visiting other websites. Maybe that data is available on Google uh, tracking cookies. You never know, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason this is very, very important, uh, I think we've shown, and it has been shown and will continue to be shown, that not only corporations, but nation states are aggregating data to target everyday citizens, right? Yeah. For manipulation, for yeah. micro-targeting, for unit, right? Yeah. That's right. And the well, same thing in corporate sector. I mean, these micro-targets, they end up becoming uh, geofenced if they're jurors in cases. They end up getting promoted and marketed and manipulated to buy a product, to not buy a product, to look into a product that's defective or to not look into a product that's defective. It gets pretty, pretty uh, uh, invasive. We have a problem with privacy. It's not getting any better. It's why I want that tech, that global tech treaty to occur. And I thank you for bringing that to our attention because those are the types of stories that get buried under the headlines of shit. So thank you very much for always, uh, you know, revealing what's most pertinent. And I'm looking forward to hearing what's happening globally now. So what's happening globally is we are having the ascension of the West African autocrats. By that, I mean that uh, just a few days ago, Burkina Faso, which is a country in the western, northwestern area of Africa, uh, kind of around the big, round, humpy part for those people who don't know their geography well, um, they just recently had a coup. And while they were having a coup, people took to the streets to celebrate. Uh, they are having problems with Islamic militants uh, that the government and the army have been unable to put down. And the army said, we're taking over. People went to the streets to celebrate, but they celebrated in a very, very strange way. Sean, do, do we have that? Do we have that clip, Sean? Yes. One second. Let me grab it. So, so the, the point that you're going to bring up is that we're getting, you know, this is hybrid warfare again. So this is like, this hybrid warfare is occurring globally, so I'm interested to see. Uh, well, it's what more than just—it's more than just hybrid warfare. What we are seeing in a number of South African countries—I mean, there's been six coups in five countries. You, you just in, said in South West African. You, you mean you mean West African? Oh yeah, West African. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So essentially, when we see this clip, we are going to be thinking in terms again of hybrid warfare, which seems to be a global infection. Uh, correct. It, it's not just hybrid warfare. Uh, what we are seeing, you know, there have been five West African countries that have had six coups over the last few years. Uh, and in multiple uh, countries, specifically Chad, uh, Mali, and Burkina Faso, 
Um, there have been the presence of private military contractors okay. who have so possibly helped lead to these uh, governments being overthrown. So this is this is scary because this sounds like, you know, we know Prigozhin pulled up uh, stakes and was sent to Africa to set up shop. And he, of course, was, you know, indicted for the troll operation in St. Petersburg, which we are still dealing with the ramifications of that. Let's take a look at this clip. Here we go. Oops. Right. Here we go. Riding through the streets of Wagadougou on Tuesday, two demonstrators fly a Russian flag celebrating a military coup in the country a day earlier. They also turned out in Wagadougou's Place de la Nation to celebrate the military takeover. Some waved a Russian flag and told VOA, We don't want no more France. We are here because we need the defense of Russia. France haven't done anything who has given us success. Well, there you go. They're flying Russian flags in Burkina Faso. <laughs> Burkina right. Faso, you know, being a small country just south of Mali, where who just recently set up shop, like you said? Yeah. Wagner well, and Gojit. Yeah. I mean, you know, we also uh, know a little bit about, uh, you know, sanctions, Libya and Prince. I mean, this, this, what, what, what I think the high concept is here is welcome to World War III. I wish we would declare it so we would have some, uh, you know, uh, ability to truly fight it. Uh, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I don't want to declare World War III. I'd love to declare certain actions, aggressive yeah. actions, befitting a, some kind of response, right? Well, what, know, I, what I really find the most interesting is that nation states are utilizing private military corporations yeah. Yeah. to engage in warfare across the globe yeah. while maintaining... Plausible deniability. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. The black wow. Hole? Yeah. You know, uh, nice way to bring it on home, Hi-Fi. That, uh, that was incredible and incredibly jarring. And yes, of course, I don't want World War III either, but we need to actually okay. declare that we are in a cyber war, uh, right. you know, kinetic, non-kinetic, kinetic, and actually get some uh, ability to fight back, you know, at least inform the citizens what's going on. Interestingly enough, if we ever did did declare the war dating back to 2016, the uh, bot members of the GOP would then, you know, literally be able to be uh, tried for, con you know, constitutionally technical treason, because clearly they've been a fifth column for the Kremlin for some time. And again, we're going to talk more about that with Tomas. Uh, so let's get on to your last story. Uh, my last story is... Uh it's a sad one. It's, it's kind of depressing. Uh, it's called turmoil in Tijuana and why this matters is recently in Tijuana, uh, two journalists were shot. Uh, one was Lourdes Maldonado and the other was Margarito Martinez. And, you know, in the last few years, there've been at least 150 journalists killed in Mexico. And in general, those journalists, are either on the politics beat and they are exposing corruption or they are on the police beat and they are exposing corruption. And because of their work, right. they are assassinated. And I would also yeah. like to point out, um, if you've ever heard of the uh, Center for Protecting Journalists, in the last 30 years, from 1992 to 2022, there have been uh, 
roughly 1,500 journalists murdered globally for work that they were doing exposing governmental corruption. One of the things we talk about, yeah, in, just in 2020 alone, there were 30 journalists killed. And most of them are on mm -hmm. politics or broadcast reporters. Um, yes, there are some journalists who are killed in war zones. That is a fact of war. But the vast majority of these reporters, you know, if you look at Malta, uh, there was a reporter who was car bombed there. Um, Daphne. Just, Daphne, yeah, it, yeah. Everywhere you look. Yeah. And, and the reason this is important is because it coincides with the rise of the kleptocracy of the corruption in government not just in russia uh you know look at yanukovych and manafort in ukraine uh there you go look how many journalists are in state custody in china turkey yeah uh, yeah yeah. Um, yeah it really is kind of horrifying so and again Rise of autocracy, rise of kleptocracy, rise of the mob, right? Right. And what did we, what did Jack Bryan say his parting words were? Is those who think that they're, you know, interested in authoritarianism don't realize that then they are voting against protections for their freedoms. And so I think that's yeah. a perfect example of that. And, you know, it's um, lonely are the brave. I will tell you that, you know, even the work that we do is, is um, you know, the the louder we get the more this uh you know the pain escalates and so uh but i am not giving up on our judicial system yet i do think you know america must still stand for something and it's going to be put to the test this year like you know like it hasn't been put to the test in some time so let's see what happens and thankfully the January 6th committee is doing the work that it's doing and we will see how things progress from there. Um, so thank you for that very sobering but very important why it matters. We do this work because this work matters and you can see that high fidelity is certainly on the case. And, uh, and thank you, Sean, for all the assets that you bring to it so we're able to tell this story. Uh, normally this would be the section for Sean's legal brief, but A, Sean is whipping up an incredible digital descent for us, so we didn't want to interrupt that. And B, our man Sean is still recovering from uh, COVID. And before we proceed, do you want to tell our viewers how you're doing? Yeah, uh, generally reasonably well, but well, I guess one of these sort of long-term uh, COVID symptoms is this uh, energy, this lack of energy. It's the strangest thing is that I'll be normal for most of the day, and all of a sudden this energy, energy is sort of bottom out. It's a really wow. strange thing. It's uh, you know. and that's even with the IV of Red Bull that we were discussing yeah, earlier. Even the right? caffeine, Red Bull, any sort of, any yeah. sort of amphetamine, any amphetamines you put in your system just don't work. So don't waste your money. Um, it's, uh, if you've had, well, you know, it's, it's a really strange, strange reaction. It's just uh, you just immediately get tired. The brain fog is not so bad, but just the level of energy is way below uh, the sort of normal, you know, uh, normal operating. And I just want to say. Do you see what we do for you? <laughs> you see, like, we, we keep this going. And by the way, it's not lost on us that we have, you know, uh, many people contributing to our brand spanking yes. new Patreon. And from the bottom of our heart, thank you. This uh, knowing that people are willing to support this work is very meaningful. But also what you need to know is that Sean Connor 
even in the state he's in, is developing all kinds of groovy games and gifts and art for you guys. So be fun, on the yeah. lookout for that coming up. Yeah, oh, we're so forward, great. Look forward to sharing that with you guys. It's a lot of fun. So excited. Okay, and, so uh, this will so only really, be. I'm going to give my uh, brief legal brief time over to Heidi. Right? So you can, you can okay. Can... Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Heidi's going to show us her briefs. Want... Jesus, man. <laughs> oh, what? Sorry. Uh, how do you know I don't go commando? You guys don't know. We, <laughs> we live in separate states. Uh, so um, that's a that's a nice jokey way to get into a very serious thing. But I also yeah. feel like um, the case that I'm about to discuss with you guys is going to be, depending on how it turns out, possibly the shot heard around the world for freedom. If it goes the way I hope it goes, then it's going to basically be a, a put the transnational uh, mob in check. And of course, I'm talking about the uh, abusive slap case that was, uh, you know, uh, recently concluded against Carol Cadwallader in the UK. She's a Guardian reporter. She is a, you know, a international treasure. She was a feature writer who threw herself into the investigative world because she knew things were not making sense in her, uh, you know, in her area, in her world, and in, in the place that she came from in Wales. Nothing was making sense. And she's the one who, you know, blew up the basic story on, uh, you know, Cambridge Analytica. She actually tied everything together with Brexit and so many of the same players. And and did an incredible job. And so, of course, because she does good work and because she is doing the work of, you know, an army, uh, she gets a slap case from um, somebody whose name I'm not even going to mention because it's not, not, you know, it, it's irrelevant to the scope of it. But essentially, reporting that had been done with somebody who's got all these tweets about his love and support of Russia, Honey, why, don't uh, you, you know, ends why, why, don't, why don't you explain to or some of our viewers what the slap case means in case they're not oh, well, you, 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 you could probably, I mean, I can tell you exactly what it stands for if you like, yeah. uh, essentially a, let me. Strategic lawsuit against public participation. And what does that mean? Yeah. What does that yeah. mean? It's lawfare. Uh, they're trying yeah. to shut people up with the court. It's typically, That's yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And in, in what, yeah. what, what Heidi means by the shot heard around the world is that there's about to be a, a, a motion or a resolution to this case. Is that right? They're about to finally yes, rule. Yes, that's right. Yeah. It might be weeks away. It might be months away. But there's going to be a resolution. And why they're this in the, matters they're in, is yeah. they're in the, the re resolution of the, of the case. And so we'll, we'll know at this point if someone like a journalist can speak freely or if they can be shot right. by someone suing them right. to silence. And so... These these cases are frivolous. They did not go after the Guardian. They did not go after the um, TED Talk, you know, organizers. They went after her, even though this was public information that she talked about. This person's connection with Russia, who, which also this person has tweets to the effect that they're sympathetic and supportive of Russia and the Kremlin. So it's not like this was, uh, you know, damning to his reputation. He'd already damned his own reputation. Okay, so. Um, so why it's important is two things. I'd like to actually watch both of Carol's TED Talk clips that we chose back to back, okay. if you already cut sure. them on. I did, I did. So let's watch the first one here. Let's just watch them both. Okay, I'll watch the first one, then I'll get a little bit second one. Yeah.
That's powerful stuff right there. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. Important she is. And, and we we yeah. we we as a democracy have allowed this woman to be tortured with online hate. And she continues to be tortured with this fucking frivolous bullshit case. And you see how important she is and what she says, how meaningful it is. That's everything. What she said in that TED talk is everything. And I want to bring you, I'm, I'm sorry guys, but you know, my, my supporters have been generous with me. So I've been able to support her legal fight. I encourage everybody who has an extra buck to go to her pin tweet read her thread, support her fight. They are trying to not only silence her, but they are trying to uh, completely annihilate her emotionally, physically, psychologically. And some days she says it feels as if they're winning because this has been such a hard fight on her. They've used AI deep fakes. They've made it look like she was the uh, you know, a woman in an airplane who gets slapped. That's kind of where it started. And apparently that was a Russian, uh, you know, meme that was done. That's, you know, this, this meme warfare that we talk about. But uh, she's so fucking important. And what they're doing to her is so wrong. And if she wins, that's good for democracy. If she doesn't win, I've promised that we are going to support her and contribute to her so she does not have to be bankrupted in the process. You know, the people who who bring these things have all kinds of money, but they have no fucking souls. Uh, I want to talk to you about the fact that a case study was done by UNESCO, which found that 55% of obvious abuse detected as targeting Carol Cadwallader occurs at the personal level. It was highly gendered and designed to hold her up for ridicule, to humiliate, belittle, and discredit her. And doesn't that sound familiar, right? Because Weaponized Jim misogyny what? Well, yeah. Jim, Jim Stortzen's being Hillaryed. The attacks are personal. Heidi Kuda is being Hillaryed. The attacks are personal. And the poster child for this, sadly, has been Carol who has had this ongoing venom uh, directed her way. And you know why? Because she does good fucking work. That's why. Uh, so the main thing I want our viewers to know is that this ruling will have serious implications for journalism, not only in the UK, but internationally, given the popularity of London courts. And this is coming from a report from Reporters Without Borders. Anyway, uh, I just think it's important I, that people know her. Can I point out two things from what she said? Sure. Uh, you know, she she called on these social media companies to acknowledge the fact that their platforms uh, are being weaponized to aid in the rise of authoritarianism. And I, I would like to, you know, recall our interview with Craig Unger Um Unger said, there's a lot of Russian money in Silicon Valley, and people do not see how dangerous it is. I think we need a lot more light shown upon those relationships now that we see, you know, how nation states are utilizing uh, social media to target their critics. Now that we see how... Um, 
well, personally, how I see that Silicon Valley is being used to launder money uh, for organized crime, to do business for organized crime through crypto, uh, through online payment registries, through online charities. And, and you know, I also the, think, go ahead, Chuck. The, just, just through the, no one knew the political influence that these social media companies could have, right? Until the past 10 years. I mean, massive, massive influence in, in campaigning and political outcomes. So, well, there, there's two things that made that happen. Citizens United, right? Right. Yep. And a massive, massive valuation for these social media companies. That's right. And so I agree. Those two more, together, more transparency, more light can, you know, sort of cauterize some of those wounds. Hopefully. Absolutely. You know, what's, what, Absolutely. What, what I've been thinking about today is these people who are perpetrating these harms against humanity, these psychological harms, this kinetic, non-kinetic warfare, they actually need us. They need us to be doing the work we're doing. You know why? Because prison's going to be a lot more comfortable than dealing with the transnational mob that they work for. So allow us to do our work so we can help you. Uh, you know, maybe if you're not in too deep, maybe you'll get a little light prison sentence ultimately. But, you know... At some point, the I do believe truth prevails eventually. The amount of pain that we, ha we will have to go through between now and truth is still, you know, to be determined. Truth survives. Yeah, well, damn it. That's why we called the show Truth Survives, you know. All right, you guys, thank you so much for that incredible, um, you know, opening news block. And uh, I will uh, dust my eyes off here. And uh, we are going to have a hell of a conversation with the fourth president of Estonia, who also did a stint in Jersey. It's going to be very, very interesting. You know, it is absolutely not lost on me that this show has the most incredible guests from around the world who truly, truly understand the influence war and the uh, pain of this onslaught of continual disinformation and active measures. So it is just my absolute honor to introduce our episode 11 guest, uh, Tomas Ilves. He uh, is the former president of Estonia he is one of the most interesting men in the world, and I'm not kidding, because he literally lived in <laughs> New Jersey and then became the fourth president of Estonia. He has a background in journalism. He happened to also be the president when uh, an active measure, non-kinetic warfare, was uh, his country was the target of non-kinetic warfare. And I find uh, his background to be quite fascinating. And without further ado, would you mind um, just telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, Tomas? I'm a pensioner. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm retired. Uh, well, I uh, was born in Sweden of refugee parents. They moved me uh, to New Jersey in, uh, when I was three. I grew up in New Jersey, graduated Leonia High School. Uh, went to Columbia, went to the University of Pennsylvania for my master's, did various things. Then I was invited to come uh, to be an analyst at um, Radio Free Europe in Munich. Uh, and then later on, they made me director of the Estonian service at Munich. And then because I kept helping all these people in Estonia, 
uh, when Sterney became independent, I was asked to be the first ambassador to the United States after independence. And then, uh, then I was, then there was some problem with the government, so they brought me back and I was foreign minister for six years and all I did was work on getting into the European Union and NATO. In between, I pushed, uh, I was highly unpopular for a while, but because everyone thought I was crazy, but I pushed for the digitization of Estonia, which then later on people started to accept. And now it's fairly well <clears throat> de developed and we're probably the most digital country in the world. And then, uh, then I went to the European Parliament where I was vice chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee. And then, uh, then I was asked to run for president, and I said, I don't want to be president. And they said, don't worry, you won't win anyway. <laughs> and so, uh, and then I did, and then uh, and then I was reelected. And then after that, I was at Stanford for four years, almost four years, yeah. And then I, now I live on my family farm in uh, southern Estonia, where my family has been living at least since 1763, except for in between the 50 years uh, of Soviet occupation when everything was completely destroyed. That's the Kratki course, as the Russians would say, short course. I absolutely love that summary. I also find it very interesting. I believe you have a maternal grandmother uh, from St. Petersburg. And I, I, I feel like there's there's probably no better person to really address the subject matter uh, at hand right now than you from your unique experience. And before uh, we get into that, I'd love Sean to run the clip from Active Measures. Our guest last week was uh, director and producer uh, Jack Bryan, and you are featured in this film. And I, I think it's very important that people understand that your the, the warfare against Estonia started with the relocation of a statue. Let's go ahead and hear that clip. That was 2007. Two months later, they did the cyber attack on my country because we really didn't want a Soviet statue in the middle of town. We didn't tear it down, we moved it. We figured, okay, this is important for some people. But even that was uh, sort of enough of an offense. On the 9th of May, the day the Russians celebrate the end of World War II, no one could get into any websites, including the banks, any government sites, news media. I mean, it's clear they did it. A year later, they invaded Georgia. Okay, so seeing that clip again, uh, kind of what goes through your mind and what can you explain to our viewers about that moment in time? Well, really, I mean, to understand what we went through, which was that um, basically I, we woke up and um, I woke up and uh, I couldn't access any websites. Um, and uh, But I could access sites outside the country, so that was interesting. And then I said, hmm, something's very odd, and I called my IT guy. And then anyway, it became clear we were under cyber attack, and basically um, the way it works, it was a DDoS attack, which stands for Distributed Denial of Service, which is basically you overload um, websites. 
uh, and that included basically uh, all of the media, the government uh, sites, uh, banks, uh, so it was fairly extensive. Now, the way you do a DDoS attack, at least back then, now it's changed a bit, but nonetheless, uh, was that um, you had all these spamming, spamming sort of groups. I mean, they had, and they were basically mafia groups that, um, that uh, people would uh, have their, ro their computers taken over uh, because they would watch a porn site for free. And if you do that, your odds are your computer is going to be hijacked. And so you, they have all, all these computers have bots, but then you put them together and you have a botnet. Now, most of the time, these companies, or rather, they're not companies, they're mafia groups, uh, send out spam or sent out spam. Uh, this is all when spam was really bad, you know, basically Viagra commercial ads and so forth. Yeah, and then, uh, but you could, but that's when everything's going out in all directions. On the other hand, you can just program the bots to hone, <clears throat> home in on one site, and so you basically rent these things. And so um, the way that became clear was when I went to our CERT, which is our uh, cyber emergency response team, to see what was going on, and they had this graph, and the graph was not a normal. Gaussian curve, you know, sort of normal curve, but bell curve. But it was rather it would at, at exactly zero 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 Greenwich Mean Time, it goes up, and then it continues at a, at a very high level for twenty four hours, and then at uh, you know twenty three fifty nine fifty nine fifty nine, just drops. Wow. So I said, well, that's pretty weird. How did that happen? And they said, they stopped paying for it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, they stopped paying for it. Wow. So this is basically, I mean, the Russian government basically hired mafia groups. I mean, we know all about the, the interactions between yeah. the Russian government and the mafia. So it's not as if they had to go, you know, Google it or anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what, what I find interesting is that was about uh, 15 years ago, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I feel like, to me, that was kind of ground zero for what was going to come next. And can you sort of explain to us how that attack basically preceded and foreshadowed everything that was uh, to come in 2016 and continues through today? Well, it was, uh, I mean, it, for the end of time, at least as long as we are not blown back into the Stone Age, I mean, any history of what is be considered cyber war will begin with that attack because it was the first obvious, I mean, it wasn't the first hack or the first time they had been attacked, but it was the first, you know, public state on state attack, which fulfills, you know, the fun, fun clause of its definition of war, which is the continuation of policy by other means. Yeah. But he's, he said that to talk about, you know, going, <laughs> invading someone. But it this was, you know, sort of the Russian government was wanted to punish us. And so they did it using cyber methods. Right. Uh, and since then, of course, uh, I mean, the next step, but that was in that clip as well, 
uh, a next escalation was that was combined the digital uh, attack was combined with kinetic attacks, which are traditional. I mean, you know, kinetic meaning force equals mass times acceleration. There's like bombs, rockets, and those, and then yes. so those are combined in the attacks uh, in Georgia where they would, uh, well, they would just basically uh, sort of black out an area for any kind of communication and then bomb or or shoot or you know shells so that people didn't know what the hell was going on so that was the next stage and of course from there you know, the, uh, I mean things moved on uh, then the next phase really was getting into disinformation yeah and, and here I would say what happened was in 2011 you had the Arab Spring and you recall all these I mean, Twitter and Facebook were used to bring people together for demonstrations. And, and there was a lot of, you know, happy talk from uh, from Facebook and Twitter saying, see where the this is the future of democracy. Um, civil society is going to work through social media. So, I mean, at that time, the Russians had not really employed social media, but then they looked at this and said, hmm. Well, if, if unorganized average people can use social media to such a great effect, imagine what we can do if we have uh, all the resources of the state using this and we put out lies. And so that was the beginning of the troll farm in St. Petersburg, which, start, which by the time three years later, we got to... Um, the first invasion of Crimea by Putin, uh, they were working overtime and spreading all kinds of disinformation. This was followed uh, by, I think, in a big way, disinformation about Ukraine when, uh, there, uh, when there was a, a referendum in the Netherlands on whether or not to give an association agreement to Ukraine, to the European Union. Now, to understand, association agree agreement is not joining the EU. It's just a fr free trade agreement plus student and teacher exchange. It is not being a member of the EU. It's, I mean, it's everybody has an association agreement. So, but nonetheless, even to 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 ruin that possibility, and so that was where it was employed. And then, you know, that was 2015. Next thing was the Brexit referendum, where we know now, especially with all of these documents, which the British government won't release because apparently it's rather embarrassing. Yep. That in fact, um, there was a lot of uh, collusion on between uh, Brexiteers and uh, disinformation and Russian uh, disinformation uh, folks. And so that was there. It worked rather well. And then, of course, we don't have to really describe to the American audience the use of disinformation uh, on the part of the, uh, <laughs> the Russians in the 2016 elections. You know, it's funny you say that because we fight every day, 24-7, this team and others that I work with, to evidence the disinformation and the ongoing active measures against the minds of people in this country. And 
you know, as you know, uh, the media has done a fantastic job of running interference on getting that message out in any comprehensive way. And I believe that Estonia did a very good job of identifying what happened, sealing your vulnerabilities, and letting the population know so you are less vulnerable to what we continually suffer here. Our partner who is not here, Jim Stewartson, who's an incredible uh, researcher in this space and actually just- I know, I follow him when he well, is on you know, Twitter. <laughs> when he is on Well, that's part of the disinformation campaign against us yeah. is there was a coordinated attack against him to shut him up. Three times. Was, yeah, exposing times. bad actors. And, and my personally, point is, Well, personally, he, I've been kicked off 20, but yeah. Yes, right. He, and, and he was kicked off Hi-Fi, High Fidelity, who's a systems architect, realized, because he didn't think Kyle Rittenhouse should be fundraising uh, for murder. So uh, Hi-Fi, actually, who's a erstwhile troll, identified the transnational mob behind the Rittenhouse fundraiser, and he was originally then kicked off by a Russian oligarch, uh, which is documented and quite fascinating. Meanwhile, Jim, with his 60,000 followers and 45,000 uh, tweets and evidence that uh, General Michael Flynn is among the proponents of QAnon, uh, Jim gets so close to the fire and the truth and shows that cultic prayer that Flynn did that he then becomes brigaded and has been knocked off of Twitter three times. But I bring him up uh, because he created an incredible documentary called American Mindfuck, mm -hmm. which has not yet seen the light of day. I hope it does soon. But, but we are not well. We are not well in America. We are losing people to this ongoing assault. No worries. Uh, Hi-Fi has terrible allergies, by the way. I feel that sneeze. He's usually, he's usually suffering. Uh, but the bottom line is that, you know, it, it would be nice to think that this was past us and that Americans all understood it and we shared the same narrative. We are continually at war with each other. And can I just say, uh, Trump gave a speech last night, which to me sounded like the braying desperation of a criminal. Uh, but what happened is when I weighed in on a thread on the number of bots that were assigned to be pro-Trump again, it was like pro pro twenty six. You know, it was like uh, twenty sixteen PTSD all over again. And because I was on someone else's thread and people could comment, I was called an old hag, and every word was used against me, much as they do. And I feel like. Part of why it's so important that you came on the show today is because you can offer witness and clarity to the fact that this happens, it happened, and quite frankly, it's ongoing and possibly even escalating. Well, I think the model of the, that we need to look at because of the inherent dangers for any society is what happened in Austin in 2016 when there were two fake accounts, one of which was an anti-Islamicist account, the other one was kind of like not a pro-Islamicist, but sort of a tolerance uh, supporting page on um, Facebook. So you had these two pages. Yeah. They were both set up by the Petersburg Troll Factory. Yeah. yeah. 
And I mean, each these had like each had like ten thousand followers, right? And and then they decided to call demonstrations at the same time at the same place. That's right. So so the followers ten thousand minus one or minus five say are uh, are legit people in the United States who follow who are on this page or follow this page one page or another but then you know all it takes is because they have all, all these american followers say oh we're having a demonstration on this day at this time at this this place and so you know thank god nothing happened but you know people showed up from both sides i remember that that was actually houston if i'm not if i'm not okay, mistaken maybe, maybe and, was houston. Uh, and, yeah. and, and that is a very important point you bring up because i was listening to your interview uh, with our friends from Kremlin File, and it was pointed out that the Putin proxies are both on the extreme left and the extreme right. right. And that is, quite frankly, our war today. And I am the subject, once again, I was the subject in 2018 when I worked on a campaign to get rid of Dana Rohrabacher. Uh, of online and offline harms, and I am the subject again because of this show, but mostly because we support the excellent work of Jim Stewartson. And so to me, what's most fascinating is the attacks on him are coming from the extreme sides of each uh, you know, a political spectrum that- Well, that this is, I mean, you. this has been, uh, I mean, we have to understand we're not dealing with uh, a genuine ideology this is what it is what is whatever is disruptive is supportive and yeah. where it's most clear is in uh, actually today in germany where the biggest supporters of vladimir putin are on the one hand die linke um which is the hard left party kind of like they're the former communists right i mean um, and then the other bigger support, big sub, biggest supporters are AfD, Allianz für Deutschland, which is a hard right, really hard yeah. right party. And you see this across the board in European countries, perhaps even more than the United States. Um, and the, clearly the goal is disruption. I mean, we see yes. where they come together. Uh, and you see is in Europe, where it comes together is in being an anti-vaxxer. In the United States, it seems like the anti-vax thing is more, much more of a strictly right-wing thing. But here in Europe, you see both the hard left and the hard right are, are anti-vaxxers. And supporting all of this is the, is the television show RT, formerly known yep. as Russian Day. Right. At the same time, Russian state television in Russia is uh, basically telling people, if you don't get vaccinated, you'll be fired. So yeah. clearly this is, you know, the, well, the regime does not believe yeah. in anti-vaxxing, but to, to basically harm societies in the West, they are promoting right. anti-vaxxing. Right. Why that is so important, and Sean, think, maybe we're going to address this from disinformed on the wellness side. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that uh, you know part of the reveal in the corporatocracy in America is, is when you have AT and T right controlling CNN in one channel, and then you have them. I believe it's OAN when that was revealed. 
there are the far, yeah. left, the far right and the far left. So now instead of the state ideology, you have this corporate ideology that seems to have seeped into to American mass media to sell sensationalist journalists and, and you know, at the same time, eventually propaganda, both the right and the extreme left. Well, for, and for, also for, for, for clicks and for, you know, for ad revenue. It's, it's, it's horrifying. We had the, that's right, and we had the um, directors of Disinformed who also did People You May Know, and they showed how the left wellness yoga moms have been infiltrated with the anti-vax uh, rhetoric. And so it's interesting that we are seeing it on both sides of the spectrum here. And also, we are seeing people who are who are proponents of anti-vax literally die the radio show hosts, you know, the spokespeople for this, the those who are selling, you know, snake oil pills on the side, they're literally dropping dead. And yet this disinformation is so ingrained and so strong that all the ER doctors that we are close with and that we are in various groups with tell us that no matter, they're so brainwashed when they come in that they are there and there's nobody, there's no buffer between the ER doctor and this patient who is a victim of brainwashing. And quite frankly, we need to have teams of uh, people uh, who are positioned to go into those ER places and school boards and wherever and deal with these brainwashed people. Because as Jim, our colleague always says, they too are victims um, and we have to look at them like that. But but one thing with the time that we have that I really, there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I think it's yeah. very important that people understand how much corruption and how much the tentacles of kleptocracy have reached into the West and why that is hindering justice. That is sort of an you know abbreviated version of something that I've heard you speak on before. And I am very frustrated by what I see in London, and I'm very frustrated by what I, by what I see in America, um, because we have a deposed dictator, essentially, who is still able to go out and hold his bigot rallies and continue to radicalize people. And all the felons that he pardoned, that Trump pardoned, are able to still have their talk shows and continue to radicalize people. And to me, that feels tied with, with kleptocracy and corruption hindering justice. Well, the, the kleptocracy, and well, actually, the money laundering and kleptocracy side is, of course, the other major threat other than disinformation. Um, you know, it's um, London, Miami, New York, uh, our favorite spots for for um, illicit funds to buy apartments. And one of the things that um, the US really needs to get a handle on is um, uh, disallowing uh, anonymous shell companies buying real estate where you don't know who the beneficial owner is. I mean, this That's is, right. I, I mean, this got to the point where they were actually, I mean, the leading mafioso in, in Russia is a guy named Semyon Mogilevich. But his consigliere bought apartments in Trump Tower. Yep. I mean, so this is what we're dealing with. Or yep. the other, the other guy, uh, who um, the man who led the fight in the Russian Duma, the parliament, to prevent Americans from adopting Russian kids, 
uh, in the law that was passed um, uh, and sort of, you know, nastily anti-American at the same time owned a $2.9 million condo in Miami. Yeah. And that's the kind of story that repeats over and over and over again. Uh, so what we have is that uh, huge amounts of money that is basically stolen. Um, I mean, in the case of Russia, stolen really from the Russian people because, um, I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, people just, you know, whether it's uh, stealing money or whether it's, it's money from uh, oil and gas that's not going somewhere or someone has a special deal or uh, someone's, I mean, basically, it's a it's a mafioso economy. That's and right. So these huge amounts of funds then, of course, are shipped to the West because it's safe there because in Russia, your money is not safe because if the political winds change and suddenly Vladimir Putin doesn't like you, then he will stick you in jail. And that's what happened to, let's say, Mikhail Korkovsky and it's happened right. to a number of other people. Right. So the thing is you want to keep your money in the West that has rule of law. And of course, I mean, there's not really, I mean, where you want to live. I mean, if you have put your money abroad, you want to live in the Riviera, you want to go to Miami, you want to be in New York. And these are things which have not been significantly addressed, though I see that the UK just yesterday, today, announced that it was going to actually begin to take action on these things and go after oligarchs who are in in London who have parked their money there. This is what the United States needs to do. They can't, they can't do it soon enough. We had a former IRS investigator on in episode eight, and he said that we need to immediately de-license two banks, uh, the Bank of Cyprus and a Russian bank in, on Cyprus. And he said that, w that way you're not hurting the Russian people, but you're making the oligarchs then potentially turn against Putin and get him replaced. And I think we can't think big enough right now or act swiftly enough. We do have legislation that was stuck into a must-pass defense bill at the end of the Trump uh, era, and that is supposed to reveal the beneficial, the beneficiary owners of shell companies, uh, but that is, again, not happening quickly enough. And of course, the lawyer lobby, you know, fought for this because they make so much money in all this offshoring uh, world. Um, I think it's really important, though, since we know that we are you know, in my mind, anytime, you know, Putin's ratings are in the shitter, that's when he decides to make war. And here we are again. And you probably have a fantastic perspective on what we're seeing right now with the aggression uh, toward the Ukraine. Well, I don't know. I mean, I have, uh, <laughs> I've been around to see it, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, basically, I think what we're dealing with, is, I mean, who knows what the motivation is, because none of it makes really sense. But, but basically, it looks, it looks rather ominous, because on the one hand, you have these uh, basically, well, 130,000 troops now, um, and massive amounts of materiel all around Ukraine, to the east, to the north, to the south, and the west, so they can attack from every place. Um, you know, you have, and this is, um, because in the, in the North you have Russia and then you have Belarus now, which is also in the North. And then to the East, you have these, uh, bizarre statelets, you have the 
the Metz People's Republic and the Luhansk People's Republic. In the south, you have Crimea. Any, and what people forget, in, in, the, in the west, they actually, uh, basically a third of Mol the country of Moldova that in Transnistria is under the control of the Russian army. So you're surrounded, or they are surrounded. And so, and the Russians then issued basically an ultimatum, two ultimatums, I mean, uh, to NATO and to the United States, one of which, I mean, basically both of them arguing that, okay, basically we have to go back to 1997, roll back the enlargement of NATO. Um, you, you have to get NATO to say that it will never take Ukraine in. Um, basically, and then what they, I mean, Lavrov, the foreign minister said, yeah, we have to change, we have to alter the situation that took place 30 years ago when, and this is a direct quote, the, the people of Eastern Europe were left without masters. I mean, so this is their mindset. You know, they are the feudal lords and, and everyone, you know, the Poles, the Czechs, the Estonians, the Romanians were all serfs who, who are craving to have masters. And that's kind of indicative of the, of the attitude that we see and it, and it's it indicates this, um, this genuine desire to restore spheres of influence in the sense of the Yalta agreement that was basically when uh, the US and the UK and uh, Stalin basically divided up Europe. And that's, that is something that uh, <laughs> nobody is, is, is willing to accept. Uh, so too with saying no to ever to membership in NATO because that's that re, re, to say no to Ukraine would require a treaty change and you're not going to get 30 members of NATO to actually ratify something that would say no. Hmm. Uh, so basically, but given that the the demands were so absurd, I mean you can only conclude they're spoiling for a fight. Yeah. And so the fight even though their demands uh, really involve NATO and and Europe, NATO members, the the outcome they say, or will invade, uh, or will invade Ukraine is the message. It's kind of like, give me your money, or I'll shoot this dog. Right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the the thing. And you know, then what has also happened is that there have been signs of weakness in NATO, especially with Germany, which has um, which has not been as uh, forthright about sort of standing up uh, for for countries as as the, much of the rest of NATO. So you have, uh, I mean the. The Germans will have said or now are waffling on whether they would still go ahead with this uh, opening a gas pipeline called Nord Stream 2 if uh, Russia attacks Ukraine. And then another leading politician um, who's head of the opposition said, well, uh, we don't support uh, shutting Russia out of a cut out of SWIFT, which is the. Uh, yeah clearance system that everyone else has basically agreed we're going to do this. Most, re most of the last week we saw a couple of things happen. One is that um, Estonia, 
has done two things for Ukraine, or tried to. One of them, what we did do, which is that we're sending a whole bunch of javelins that we bought from the United States, which are the sort of top-of-the-line, state-of-the-art anti-tank rockets, mm. which we bought. And then uh, following uh, a treaty that uh, you basically have to ask the permission of the country from which you bought something or received something to, to forward it. And the U.S. immediately said, of course, regarding the javelins. But then we also have these old Soviet-era howitzers, cannon, which um, which the Germans gave indirectly to us many, many years ago. So we asked, well, could we, you know, we asked them for permission, and they denied it, which is kind of weird. I mean, the problem with Germany seems to be that they have um, they have a whole concept, Vergangenheitsbewältigung, which is dealing with the past. But the past they de uh, they deal with is geographically kind of uh, skewed or well, selective. Because, for example, I mean, the president of Germany said we have to do Nord Stream 2 because of all that Germany did to Russia. Except the Germans killed more Belarusians, more Poles, and more Ukrainians than they ever killed Russians in World War II. I mean, they were bigger victims mm. now that we want to get into like who's the bigger victim but the point yeah. is if you, if you only say okay we have to do this because of the russians ignoring all the horrible things the more horrible things that were done to other countries yeah that's weird i always think to myself i wish we'd listened to stalin i mean uh, stalin i wish we'd listened to general Patton and rolled on stalin when we could but that's another story i so speaking of victims what what I what I'm what I'm 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 my parents are German refugees. I I grew up, uh, you know, with this sense that you must not remain quiet and be part of the problem. I am unable to remain quiet. And what I'm seeing that I really have grave concern with is that it seems to me that Western nations are saying it's okay to jail political leaders. It's okay to defenestrate journalists. It's okay to shoot people in cold blood. And quite frankly, it's okay to poison people. You can still get your, you know, pipelines. Uh, and so there's no consequences uh, for Putin when he does these uh, human rights. He's a, he's, a, he's a human rights violator, a war criminal. And here we are again. And why can't we stand up to him? Yes, people are concerned that they may have nuclear, you know, bombs, but when they're laundering all their money in the West, maybe they're not going to actually uh, take, you know, pull that card out. So why are there no consequences for this man? Well, I think that leads to the next step, which is that too, all too many politicians are bought. I mean, you mentioned one California congressman. There are many more. Yes, um, many, many. And so, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, wow. Donbaska was um, should have been uh, sanctioned, but he went and built a uh, an aluminum plant in Kentucky. Uh, Who are the two senators from Kentucky? Right? I mean, Mitch, so, Mitch who? What? Yeah, right. That is such and, a great point. And so it's here's something a question I have: when you when you talk about bought politicians, and I. I Pay pretty close attention to geopolitics. Things I've noticed, uh, you know, what, what Yanukovych 
which was Russia's boy in Ukraine, what he did to Yulia Tymoshenko, I see repeated, uh, you know, if you look at what Borisov did to uh, Radev in Bulgaria, right? Trying th these accusations of criminality and illegality. And then the next thing you know, Russian spies get kicked out of Bulgaria, the president's mm -hmm. back. Um, you look at the money laundering in Luxembourg. You look at the money laundering in Malta. You look at the money laundering through Deutsche Bank, uh, possibly Credit Suisse, UBS. Have we gotten to the point where there is so much corruption that there is very little we can do about it? Or there are, are there enough people who still believe in the rule of law, who still believe in decency, that we can beat back these monsters? It's going to be difficult, and actually it's a far worse problem in Western Europe because we, in, well, already in my country, I mean, from day one, we don't allow anonymous uh, uh, shell companies precisely for this because we're afraid that, you know, we would have all kinds of people coming in here and buying up stuff that, you know. But when you have leading politicians uh, on the payroll, I mean, when you have when you have the former prime minister of Germany on the payroll of Gazprom and Nord Stream, yeah, uh, you know we're we're getting into really the rot. Yeah, and you have the former prime minister of France going to work for an oil company, and you have the former foreign minister of Austria going to work for an oil company, and the former prime minister of Finland was you know, working for Nord Stream. So, I mean, it's not only Russia. I mean, there are other people who are working for other dictatorial regimes. And that's, uh, we see that across democratic politics. Well, and that's something that kind of blows my mind. The the former prime minister of Austria, uh, yeah. Kurtz, right? He's getting yeah. kicked out. He had to resign over allegations of corruption. Yeah. And he goes to Silicon Valley to work for a technology oligarch, Peter Thiel, who yeah. is pushing far right-wing politicians, even here in my home state, yeah. in Ohio. Yeah. I, I just, how do people not see, how do, we, how do we change that viewpoint? How do we show people, look at what's going on. How did you do it in Estonia? Well, you know, this is where having a really awful history comes in handy. <laughs> fair, fair. So, uh, I mean, of course, I mean, these, these threats are everywhere. Um, I would say that um, in many ways, uh, the Baltic countries, Poland, the Czechs, uh, Slovaks, we're, we have been inoculated, you know, we at such a bad time for so long that we recognize this kind of behavior. Whereas in the sort of the, after the fall of the wall, there were, you know, this was all new. And the idea of a, yeah. of a Russian mafia coming in and buying up all the choice real estate yeah. and then buying up politicians. See, I mean, most of these politicians, if they did done what we did, I mean, most of these politicians, if they had done what they're doing today before the fall of the wall, they would be in jail, 
right? Yeah. Because there was a degree of moral clarity. You don't go work for them. So now, when it when it's no longer an ideological war, but it's just a big mafia state, ah, you know, I mean, that's why I keep on my shelf here, wherever it is, uh, my book, not my book, but I mean, the book I recommend everyone to read for uh, to understand Russia. It's by Mario Puzo, the Godfather. That's <laughs> love the it. Best, love best it. book on Soviet or Russian studies. <laughs> That's remarkable. And uh, sadly, you're correct. I think. I'm sorry. I think you uh, yeah, it is. I, I, yeah, it's it's a mobster government. And transnational yeah, crime syndicate. Yeah. That's right. And we have so much evidence of that. Wow, that was just um, spellbinding. Um, we're unfortunately out of time, but I do have two more questions if you can if you can bear a couple more minutes. I'm fine, fine, I'm fine. Oh, that's so wonderful. Um, you gave a beautiful speech on Navalny. And if you can just highlight a couple of your takeaways from that again, for an American audience that we're trying to wake up out of this disinformation stupor. If you can just say a couple words on him uh, and, and why it's important that people know who this man is and what's going on. Well, I mean, uh, Alexei Navalny is the man who has exposed the corruption in Russia. And the, I mean, he was, he was poisoned uh, with the same poison that uh, the, that was uh, that the Russian secret services used to kill people in the UK two years ago, and they tried it on him. Uh, it failed insofar as he got really sick, and then the German government brought him out to Germany, and they basically restored him for like many months, and then in Germany he made a film of of what uh, Putin all owns and this incredible, I mean, this this most grotesque and tasteless and huge, uh, it's not, mansion is the wrong word. I mean, it is a palace in the best sort of spot anywhere in Russia overlooking the, the Black Sea. I mean, telling of it is that, I mean, <laughs> that there's not one, but there are two pole dancing studios. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you think that's just for working out, or <laughs> what was what was so great in Navalny's uh, film is he basically exposed the fact that Putin is mentally ill. Only only somebody mentally ill would be that gluttonous because it's just an excess that is you know pretty unparalleled. Um, and but I what happened was he went back, and then he was arrested, and he was sent to jail. Uh, and so uh, the occasion was uh, was giving him a, a prize for uh, standing up for civil and human rights in Russia. Uh, and, and my speech was basically uh, saying that, you know, as long as all of this stuff that goes on in Russia works only as long as we enable it to work. Because basically, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, they need the West because what the West has rule of law. So they want to deposit their money here and they don't want to leave it there. 
soon as they don't if they're not able to park their you know 100 yard long yachts in um, you know at in on the french riviera um they're going to be unhappy if they can't yes. you know, if they can't buy up paris london new york and miami and who knows what else they're going to be unhappy and then they will then they will uh demand changes but right now they don't and those are the that's the second tier of power the first at the top you have uh, vladimir putin and his secret services and then under that you have all of the oligarchs who are the direct beneficiaries of his corrupt rule i mean and so but we enable it you know when as i mentioned when you have former prime ministers and presidents going to work to lobby for the russian government yeah that's then you end up getting the kinds of effects and that we see in the west that's right and my last question for you and thank you so much guys for for letting me just fire away these questions because fantastic. Uh, of course. you know um it's just it's uh, it's such an opportunity to hear what you have to say so i believe we need some sort of global tech treaty the way we have the paris accord i believe that we have uh, we need some sort of, you know, media czar because clearly the fourth estate uh, has failed us. And so if you were in a room with Biden, tech execs, and the media, because I think it's a three-pronged freaking problem, what would your advice be in order to, like, begin the repair process of these assaults on democracy? What would you, what's your high concept well, you would tell them to I would do? go further. I would say that in the, um, the real players in the tech world uh, are, the two biggest are China and the United States. Secondary is Europe and Russia. And what, I mean, it's clear already that, um, you know, Russia is uh, working with China. And what we have, Europe is bizarrely enough, like it's so, it's so full of this anti-American spirit. I mean, part of it is spawned by that disinformation, but really what we need is a genuine alliance of democracies between Europe, the United States, but also including, you know, Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, North, um, New Zealand, and and Australia, and any other country that genuinely qualifies as a liberal democracy, and there you need to be able to break down the silos between cyber and disinformation to really uh, to get moving on these issues in a way that has that has cross-border transnational support of the democracies the 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 countries that that want to undermine democracy are doing a great job and we do not we barely talk to each other um even though the same for example the same hacking group apt 28 and apt 29 they have hacked everything from the State Department and the U.S. Congress to the Bundestag in Germany, the German think tanks, the, the Dutch foreign ministry, the Danish foreign ministry, the Italian foreign ministry, who knows what else. They've even attacked uh, the uh, WADA, which is 
not a New Jersey pronunciation of water, but it is a uh, <laughs> World Anti-Doping Agency. Yes, yeah. right. And they, I mean, can you, this is, you have, you know, you basically you have K, the KGB hacking and a, a sort of non-profit yeah. you know, sort of, uh, thing because they had evidence that the Russians were doing state-sponsored doping, right? So, you know, how do you fight this? None of these, no individual country, not even the U.S., is capable of dealing with this. Plus, when it is being done across the globe, uh, I mean, we need to be able to work together on this. And so, yeah. and that's not happening. So if you ask me what I want, I want all of the liberal democracies to come together and actually address this issue. Thank you very much. I'm so grateful for your time. I'm sure Estonia is an absolutely beautiful country and I hope to go there someday. Um, gentlemen, uh, what else can we say? I mean, this was just an incredibly brilliant, inspiring. Um, Thank you so much for the time and yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, well, I just hope people listen, that's all. Well, yeah, you know, important part. We, are, we are kind of like this little engine that could. We're sort of this little stealthy show that uh, that is being hammered by, by trolls because we do very good work. So we're going to keep on doing it uh, as long as we are still able to think and uh, speak for ourselves. Great. Thank you, sir. Well, good luck. Thank you, Connor. Uh, Bye-bye. You well. Oh, my God, Connor, that interview. We are going to be slicing and dicing so many clips out of that. Hi-fi, great job, great question. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to let the world know if they want to know the history of Russia. They need to read Mario Puso. I mean, that's going to be amazing. <laughs> you got to read The Godfather. Da, 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 da. <laughs> so good. Yeah, right? That's yeah, the new Russian national I, anthem. Anyway. Yeah. I am comforted in knowing that it's the mob behind the botnets and the trolls that are attacking people's uh, character. I'm I, I'm comforted. It's like, oh well, now we know what the you know what the uh, you know victim or what the uh, perpetrators really look like. And the other thing I'm comforted by is that it's never been about ideology. Yeah. I'm comforted by that. It's about corruption. Funny. Once Boys I have to focus. Yeah. So anyway, speaking of always the cash, do we have a digital descent today? Connor? We do. This is just, uh, you know, I didn't think I was going to do another Marjorie Taylor Greene video, but this is one of the, <laughs> the very such few. a rich source. secretly <laughs> love her. <laughs> uh, it's just she provides so much content. So this is from, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure some, some of you guys have seen the uh, public access channel where she had some people from her district call in and object to her. So I just wanted to very, it's very simple. <laughs> All I did was just provide a, uh, a, a face and a voice, you know, to the, to the conversation, just how I saw it. So it's really simple. It's just the, the people calling in and objecting to her as uh, from oh her. Oh, my God. So. I'm scared. Let's see how this looks. Here we go. Hello. Hello. Go ahead. Uh, yes, I just want to say thank God for Joe Biden. She is an embarrassment to the state of Georgia. Well, we all have our opinions. Amen to that, and I've got mine. All righty, <laughs> thank you. We accepted Trump for four years. You all refused to accept Biden. You refused to do it. And we, you know, we, maybe we didn't like Trump, but he won, and so that was it. 
You you all are not, you will not accept the fact that Joe Biden won. And that is the whole thing. You're not going to accept it. You're going to keep on and keep on and just peck, peck, peck. And you won't get anything done. If you're not going to respect the man and realize that he's the president, you're not ever going to get anything done. You've got to work together. And you are not doing it. You're not doing it. And neither the other Republicans. They're, they're just going with Trump. No, he didn't win it. He didn't win it. And wasted that all the money in Georgia have to count the votes three times. Oh, my God. Nice. Nice. I love, I love you, man. Uh, so simple. Just really, you know, it's just if you animate stuff, sometimes it comes. I like the little leg it. twitch. I like it had the leg twitch. <laughs> <laughs> she's wearing, she's wearing, yeah, she's wearing quality. But I get time to put in the, I'm gonna put, the, put in the sound effects that'll make it better. But that's just a real simple view of. I just love seeing the lady who's calling, pacing back and forth. Her husband's like cooking on the grill, and those are the constituents. Those are so the great. that are not being represented when she's flying all over the country. She's not. She's not working for the people that voted her in office. Sorry. That's you know, it's funny because this was such a serious episode, but as we learned in episode three, I believe, of Radicalized Truth Survives podcast, this show from Brent Allpress, satire is an important tool in fighting this war. And that just took me out of a pretty dark place. So thank you so much, Connor. You got it, guys. All right. We'll see you soon, okay? Mwah. Love you guys.